those of you that have your own Bibles, our scripture reading this morning is going to be from the book of Acts. So the Acts of the Apostles, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and it's chapter 15, and it's going to be verses 4 through 21. If you grabbed one of the Bibles up at the front, it's page 791, and you can also just flip over your notes, and it's right there in the back. Please follow along as I read. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written by Amos. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, the law of Moses has been proclaimed in every city, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is the word of God. Well, once again, so good to see you this morning and to be able to speak from the scripture for you today. So we consider this very important text in the Bible. Now, uh, it's kind of hard for us to fathom how important the words are that you just heard, except you might just say this, you would not be sitting here today, probably, if these people had not had this debate about these issues and had it turn out the way that he did. This was a watershed moment in the history of this early brand new church. And we're far away from it, so we don't think about it. We don't think about its significance. And we might even think it to be a bit boring, right? After all, they just get together to talk about theology, and who cares about that, right? But we should care, because what we think about how God works among us is, the most, is one of the most fundamental, 
fundamental things about our lives. And so let's take a look at this story. I couldn't print it all for you, and I always encourage you if you're able to bring your own Bibles because there's more text that is irrelevant to this situation than we can. But this is an incredibly important story known in scriptural terms as the Jerusalem Council. When as the church had grown, there was some conflict and some questions that needed to be resolved. And the question basically revolved around this. What does it take to be a full-fledged follower of Jesus in the church? What does it take? Do you need to become a Jew if you decide to become a Christian? Do you need to follow the Jewish dietary laws? Do you need to observe all the Jewish rules? Do you need to observe all the ceremonial rules of the Sabbath? Do you need to have the males circumcised? Do you need to follow all of those? Is that what it takes to become a Christian. We can see that the, the, the decision of the council was ultimately to say, no, faith in Jesus and what He did is enough, and it's the main thing. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But, and so they made the decision that opened up the door for all of us who are not of Jewish descent, to, which is probably most of us, um, to be able to come in and to follow Jesus without having to also become a, a practicing, observant Jew. Now, we're used to that after 2,000 years. It was that decision which allowed the church to grow, but it was a very difficult decision to come to. It was hard for that. It's hard for us to fathom how difficult it was for Jewish followers of Jesus to accept Gentile believers into their fellowship. Remember, the first Christians were all Jews. I mean, if they were full, to fully convert to excuse me, if they were to fully convert to Judaism in addition to Jesus, that would be fine with most Jewish followers of Jesus. That would be fine. They had been that way for many times. They were called proselytes, Gentiles who converted to Judaism. That would have been just fine with them. But to actually not require them to practice Jewish laws and customs, this was unthinkable for people who had built their lives around the giving of the law of Moses and following and being a special people chosen out. It was to them that the, that the Messiah had been given. And certainly, they intended for people to be incorporated into the nation of Israel in the same way that they were by fully practicing the law in all of its applications. This was hard for them to imagine that it would be possible for God to work so differently in the past and differently now in the future. You see, the division between Jews and Gentiles was virtually absolute. The rituals and rules of the Jewish lifestyle had kept them utterly different from their neighbors. They had rules about what to touch and what not to touch, what to eat and what not to eat, what to wear and what not to wear, what to do and what not to do. At every turn of life, they were marked out as different. It was difficult to go, out to, di uh, go to dinner at a Jew's house. They couldn't have you in their home. They couldn't come over to your home. At every turn of life, they were marked out as different. And this difference had become a mark of social pride for the Jewish people. Their ancestors had been persecuted over these differences. These differences reminded them that they belonged to God and that God was doing something unique in the universe, and He was doing it through them. They were the chosen people. But recently, strange things had been happening among them. In the first place, many Jews had begun to believe that although Jesus of Nazareth was killed by their religious and political leaders, he was miraculously vindicated by God and raised bodily from the dead. Thousands of them had come to believe that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah, that the prophetic utterances had been pointing towards Jesus, who was the one who had been crucified and raised from the dead. They had trusted in him and began to follow him. And they observed all the Jewish laws while they continued to follow Jesus. 
But now reports were coming in from everywhere that Gentiles were also casting their lot in with Jesus. And this was happening by the thousands, and it threatened to overturn the whole way people thought about Jesus. A whole new movement had begun to emerge, one which welcomed both Jews and Gentiles who placed their trust in Jesus as Israel's true Lord and as their promised Messiah, the one that God would send to redeem the whole earth. Now, that would be okay with them, if, except for this troubling fact. These Gentiles were showing no respect for the ancient Jewish traditions as codified in their own Torah. They were acting as if Jesus had superseded or fulfilled all of these requirements and that much of it was no longer applicable. Now, this met, led to a major conflict in the church. It is this conflict and its resolution which is recorded in our text today. And as I said at the outset, it is of fundamental importance, not only to the development of the church in the first century, but I believe if we think about it, I know it's hard to think on the Sunday after the holiday, we think about as we think about the meaning of the scriptures even for us today. It's one of the most important events of early Christianity. It would be hard to exaggerate how important it was in the development of the church. And so we're going to look at it this morning under two headings, okay? First of all, the debate of the Jerusalem Council and why it mattered. And secondly, the decision of the Jerusalem Council and what it meant. You can jot these down on your message notes if you like. Well, first of all, let's consider the, the debate of the Jerusalem Council council and why it mattered. There's a couple things that we want to see that are going on here. First of all, there are three I want to share with you, and you can jot them down if you like. There was a concern for the truth of the gospel. There's a concern for the truth of the gospel. What is the essence of the gospel? What is this good news we are trying to proclaim? And the question is, is the work of Jesus enough, or should there be more? Is the finished work of Christ on the cross enough by trusting in Him? Is that all that you need? Or do you need to add on to that other things in order to really be a follower of Jesus? Is it Jesus alone or is it Jesus and? Well, you know how they ultimately answer that question. We sang a hymn about it just earlier, in Christ alone. Did you notice it? In Christ alone. They came to realize that Jesus had be, that all you needed to have a right relationship with God was to be rightly related to Jesus by faith in Him. That Jesus had given His life as a final sacrifice for the world's sin, was raised from the dead, and that by faith in Him, you became a follower of Jesus. That the gospel was no longer merely tied to one particular ethnic group, but was going to spread out along or the whole world of people who all along with them are followers of Jesus, just like they were. But this was very important to discuss. What is the essence of the gospel? What is the truth of the gospel? What is the truth? Now, this is sort of odd for us today because in today's culture, it's hard to understand why people would be so concerned about determining what the truth is because we don't live in a truth-based culture anymore. We live in a very individualistic culture. And so what we want to say is, well, all that really matters is what I think is true how I feel about the truth. It's not an objective standard out there. And so we need to ask the question, does it really matter whether we nail down what the truth is? You know, interesting, C.S. Lewis wrote an, a, a fascinating essay about this. Clear back in the 40s, he saw a lot of this happening. C.S. Lewis was a great apologist for the Christian faith and wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, which should be required reading for you if you've not read them. Yes, they're children's books, but yes, you'll enjoy them. Seven books, uh, you should read them. Anyway, that's off the topic. And, uh, but he wrote a, 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 a little essay 
called Man or Rabbit. <laughs> it's a fascinating. In his book, God and the Duck, Man or Rabbit. And uh, he's responding to this question. The person asks the question, I just want to live a good life. Do I need Christianity in order to live a good life? It's a fascinating little article. It's not very long. Um, but here's some of what C.S. Lewis says. He says, um, uh, he says, you're saying, I want to live a good life. I don't care if it's true or not, but rather if it's helpful, that it works for me, he's saying. And he says this, but if Christianity is true, then it is quite impossible that those who know this truth and those who don't should be equally well equipped for leading a good life. Knowledge of the facts makes a difference in one's actions. Suppose you found a man on the point of starvation and you wanted to do the right thing. If you had no knowledge of medical science, you would maybe would give him a very large, solid meal, which as a result, the man would die. The facts matter in what happens to the person in their life. That's my add-in. He says, that's what comes of working in the dark without truth. He's saying truth matters. It's not just whether it works or so, but it really matters. He goes on to say this. I just picked out a few thoughts from his uh, art little article. Two people... One, one believes that things, uh, one thinks that they were created by God and were built to last forever, finding their true humanity in relationship to God. The other believes that human beings are the accidental result of blind workings of matter and that they are only going to live about 70 or 80 years and that the greatest happiness of which they are capable is fully attainable by good social services and political organization. Did you catch that? Two people. All right? Two worldviews. These are two different sorts, sets of beliefs about the universe. They cannot both be true. The one who is wrong will act in a way which simply does not fit the real universe. And consequently, with the best intentions, the one that's wrong will be helping his fellow creatures to their destruction. Yes, it does matter what truth is. What the truth is makes a huge difference in life. Truth matters. So they had a tremendous concern for the truth of the gospel, and so should we. We should have a tremendous concern that we build our lives on the truth of Scriptures, or whatever truth you believe to be true. But what we teach is that the Scriptures are the true story about what is happening in the universe. And as Lewis said earlier, they can't both be true. You've got to believe that your life is an accident, <laughs> Uh, and, 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 you're, and you're die, and you're put in the ground, and that's the end of it, and then all the happiness and joy you got of life has happened through those 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that you get, or that there is something more and that life is bigger story than that. Those things matter. You need to find out what the truth is. It's not just up for personal grabs, okay? So they were concerned for this. They were concerned to find the truth of the gospel, and the second thing that was mattering to them is they also had a concern for the expansion of the gospel, for the expansion of the gospel. We see in this text that they were uh, excited to hear all these people responding to the good news about Jesus. So they had a concern for the expansion of the gospel to say, well, what can we do to make sure that more and more people are coming in? They were concerned to see. They knew that the gospel wasn't meant to be for a small few, but was meant for everyone. They could see that. Even when James quoted Scripture later, he said that the Gentiles would come in. They knew that God wanted for all people to come in. So they had a, a concern for the expansion of the gospel. They wanted to make sure that they weren't adding extra stuff to the gospel that God didn't intend for them to add. And you know how easy it is to do that. You've got to believe this and this. You've got to do this and this. No, they wanted to be concerned 
for the expansion of the gospel that as many people as possible could respond to the good news about Jesus. And the third concern was a concern for the community of the gospel, for the community of the gospel. They were deeply concerned to not create division within the church. They didn't want to create first and second class Christians. They, they, want, they were concerned about their fellow Jewish believers among them who had a very difficult time imagining people who, didn't, uh, who, who could eat foods that they couldn't eat, who didn't uh, follow the, the, so, the ceremonial practices that they followed. They were concerned about these people. They knew they were brothers in Christ too, and they wanted to have unity with the family. And so these, uh, were, these informed their debate and why it mattered for us. They debated these things because they were concerned for the truth of the gospel. They were concerned for the expansion of the gospel, but they were also concerned for the community of the gospel. And we need to work to maintain unity as well. We need to work also to maintain the ability of the gospel to move out beyond our own borders. So that's the debate of the Jerusalem Council. Let's talk, take a look then. Uh, secondly, at the decision of the Jerusalem Council and what it meant, the decision of the Jerusalem Council. Well, as they debated this, how do they go about it? Well, you, you heard this story as Richard read it for you. We see that, uh, they, uh, that some men had come into the area and it started to say to the people in the first verse that, in, oh, you didn't hear them say this. I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't have them read this part. There are people that had come down from Judea, verse 1 of chapter 15. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the people. When they came to Jerusalem, they, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done among them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they begin to debate about this issue. People would come in and say, hey, this is fine. We're glad you believe in Jesus. But Paul, why aren't you teaching them how to become good Jewish people too? After all, God appeared to the Jews why would he change his mind, you see? And so they begin to look at this. And so you see that everybody contributes to the debate. They listen to the, one another. They listen to the, the Pharisee Christians the, uh, in, in, in verse 5. They listen to, the, to, uh, to Paul uh, and talk about what had happened. They listen to Peter talk about what had happened. Listen to what Peter said in particular. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel, that's our word gospel, and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to, uh, just as he did to us. Excuse me, I lost my place. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, but that we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will? 
They're listening, and ultimately James makes a decision about that, saying to them, ultimately, we will not require circumcision, and they send out a letter, and everyone is happy and lives more or less happily ever after. There's a decision that is made as they begin to listen to it, and as I think about Peter's response, I think, this is so beautiful. Peter is saying to them, you know, God gave to them the gift of the Spirit before they were circumcised, before they proved they were good Jews. God made a decision to welcome these people. How can we put barriers in their way? And so we see, if you look at this uh, decision ultimately, you will see that there are three components that I want to share with you as we think about this. First of all, we see that they wanted to observe this. Number one, in essentials, unity. In essentials, unity. In essentials, unity. Peter ultimately said, you know, ultimately this is this fact. We will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they are. We will be saved through faith in Jesus just as they will. Peter said the ultimate thing, it's what Jesus has done at our faith in Him. That's such an important message for us to hear. Often we get caught up with our own religious tradition, our own, you know, denominational tradition perhaps, and, and we think, well, you've got to worship this way, you've got to worship that way. But these people have a basic faith in the grace of the Lord Jesus, and that's enough. You see, we want to make sure that we stick to what really matters, and we want to affirm that it's all about Jesus and what Jesus has done. You see, if you want to know what the essence of Christianity is, if you're exploring Christianity, the big question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who was he? What happened to him? Why do they say he rose from the dead? What does that mean? Don't get caught up in all the pagans in Africa. Don't get caught up about this, the evil that happened in the tsunami. Those are important questions. They're not the fundamental question. The fundamental question is, what about Jesus? See, Christianity is about a belief in Jesus, that Jesus, number one, was God in the flesh, that the baby that was born, which you celebrated a few days ago, wasn't other than God clothing himself in human skin, that Jesus was the incarnation, the embodiment of God on this universe, and that Jesus came and gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins, but that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and is raised bodily from the dead and will someday return to remake this world and and, and walk among us in our own remade bodies, and it'll be a great thing, but it all comes through faith in Jesus and his work for us in dying for us. You see, it's important that we believe, first of all, in the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. That's fundamental. That's the question. If you can come to a point where you believe in that, you are believing the main thing about what it means to become a follower of Jesus, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he will come again. This is the good news about Jesus. It's about something which has happened. Associated with that is this reality that we are not saved by works, but we're saved by grace through faith. Notice what uh, what. Uh, what uh, Peter said, we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. We will be saved by grace. Now, this was so important because so many people thought they would be saved by their actions, by observing the law, by keeping it all up, by following it perfectly, by following all the Jewish traditions that we are saved by what we do. But the Christian message is not about that. It's not what we do, but what God has done for us through Jesus. That's fundamental. 
That's fundamental. And when James spoke, to the, spoke later to them, he affirmed that when he said in verse 19, it is my judgment that we should not trouble those who should turn to God. We should not get, trouble them who turned to God. We need to affirm that God has worked in their lives even without the Jewish law. Now, this relates to us as well today. You know, as a, as a church, you know, we're kind of a new church. We're not a denominational church, so there's not somebody telling us all the things we need to believe. And so we want to make sure we stay central to the teaching of Scripture. So we use that phrase, in essential things, unity. In essentials, unity. What are the essentials? We identify three basic ones. Number one, the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. That's fundamental for us. Number two, salvation by grace through faith. We're not saved by what we do, but our faith in what Jesus has done. And number three, we believe in the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. You've got to have a standard somewhere. And for us, it is the authority of Scripture. That's where we learn about Jesus. That's where we learn about the true story of the world. We believe the Scriptures tell us the true story of how God is working, has been working in the world. The God who created us, the God who rescued us, the God who redeems us, the God who will remake us. And we find that story in the Scriptures. So we seek to understand the Scripture. You see? So those three things, if you've got those things in place, you're in pretty good shape. We believe in the, in the person of Jesus. We believe in salvation by grace. We believe in the authority of scriptures. Those three things. All right. In essential things, unity. That's basically what, what James affirmed when he said later, um, uh, the, uh, let me listen, read what James says. He says, after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from uh, them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, and then he quotes from Amos, and then he says in verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from the blood, for from ancient generations Moses has in every city uh, those who proclaim him, for he is read in the Sabbath in the, uh, in the synagogues. And that brings us then to the second point that we see. In essential things, unity. Number two, in non-essentials, liberty. In non-essentials, liberty. He says we should not trouble the Gentiles who turn to God. Verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. There should be freedom. So they didn't require the Gentiles to, uh, to observe all the Jewish laws, especially circumcision, but they did ask them to make sure they, they refrained from things, offered to, things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. You see, they did ask them to, to, uh, uh, to refrain from some things, but they didn't require them more than simple faith in Jesus. In essential things, liberty. They were giving a great sense of freedom to the expression of their faith. And in, case, in, in our case as well, we need to make sure that we give freedom. So in our church, you will see, there are people who have some differing opinions about various points of theology. Not about the main things, but things that maybe are less main than that. We might have different opinions about what will happen when Jesus returns. You know, say some of us might have different ideas about that. That's not a problem with us. If you believe He's coming back, we are glad for that because the Scriptures clearly teach us that. But 
all the details surrounding his return, we may disagree about those things, and that's okay with us as well. In, in the church, they were saying there might be Jews who are observing the law, and that's okay. There might be Gentiles who are not observing the law. It's okay because they both have faith in Jesus. You see, in essential things, liberty. We want to allow you as, as in our church to have freedom of conscience about various things. There are various points of view about which Christians over the course of generations have not uh, fully come to agreement on. Questions that relate to divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Those things are not easy to figure out, and there are Christians who fight all about those things. There's lots of various questions that we could get into, but we won't get into just now. You see, in that day, they, they, they basically said, no, you don't have to observe all the Jewish laws. We will allow you to be free to observe or not to observe. They didn't prohibit them from observing the Jewish laws, but neither did they prescribe them to observe the Jewish laws. It was a matter of your own personal conscience and your own background. And so it is often for us. The various backgrounds affect the way we view various aspects of scriptural truth. It doesn't affect the basic truths of the scripture, the three things that I mentioned. We're committed to the authority of scripture. We're committed to the, the person of Jesus. We're committed to salvation by grace through faith. Those three things we don't budge over. But on the other issues, we might have some flexibility. I think it's beautiful because Christians should not be arguing about things that don't matter. Okay? In essential things, liberty. And then finally, I will go to the final thing. In all things, charity. In all things, charity. He says, it seemed good to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. You see, they were concerned that there was love relationship that extended between Jews and Gentiles. And so as a matter of concession for those devout Pharisee believers, those devout Jewish believers, they tried to make sure that these Gentile people did observe some things, okay? And if you look at it carefully, I think you're seeing that you're is talking about them not participating in idol worship. Often what was going on in there, they would, uh, the sexual, sexual immorality was associated with a lot of the, idol, the worship in pagan temples. Um, the things polluted by idols, those, uh, those are talking about sacrifices uh, uh, um, given to idols. They wanted to make sure that morality and decency continued to develop among the Gentile believers. And so they asked them to, to, to observe those things in part because, you see what it says in verse 21, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. See, sometimes what we need to do, even though we have liberty, we sometimes limit our freedom for the sake of others. So these Gentile believers were free to do some of these things, and in fact, later on they did. But there are Jewish people all around them uh, who, who they wanted to influence in a positive way. And so they said to them, would you please limit your freedom? When it comes to food offered to idols, later on they began to eat those food that were offered to idols. Um, limit your freedom in some of these ways for the sake, for the wider sake of the of, 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 of the of the witness of the gospel. Because there are Jewish people all over the all over the uh, the world. Uh, ancient Israel has in every city those who proclaim him. He has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So show respect for the Mosaic law, even in ways that it doesn't necessarily apply to you. So we see that in this passage, they want to affirm to them, in essential things, unity. In non-essential things, liberty. In all things, charity. I think it's a good word for us as well. We need to be firm about the things that really do matter. And what are they? The authority of Scripture, the nature of Jesus, the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus, 
the truth of salvation by grace through faith. Those things matter. Recognizing, however, there are lots of other areas which are important but not essential and being welcoming in those areas with other people. And in all things, having charity and love towards others. That's why when this message, um, uh, let me go ahead and finish out by a little uh, further on it. Then it seemed good to the apostles, this is starting verse 22, to the apostles and the elders of the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They send Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We therefore send Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements." that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So then when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the people with many words, they spent some time, they were sent off in peace by those who had sent them. You see, the result was that everyone was encouraged. They maintained the truth of the gospel, but they learned how to be free about areas that matter less and loving towards everyone, no matter what, they, uh, what position they took on some of these issues. And the church was able then to go out like wildfire from that point of view. So what did we learn from all this? We learned that truth really does matter. It really does matter but that we need to approach the truth charitably with those who may feel differently than us. We knew that we learned that the ultimate things that we need to believe in is the authority and inspiration of Scripture, the deity, the, me, the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus, and salvation by grace through faith. That's a message that really will touch people's lives in the year ahead. Let's have prayers be close. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that as we gather this morning, we gather to remember the risen Savior, Jesus. Yes, he was born as a baby in a manger. He died as a criminal on a tree, but he rose from the dead. And he lives among us today through his Spirit. Help us today to catch a vision for the importance of truth and help us to love the God who gave to us truth. I pray that each of us would be enthusiastic about living in the light of that truth and sharing it with others. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.